Brilliant. So, good morning, everyone. It's really good to see you uh, here on this Remembrance Sunday. I was speaking at an event last night uh, down in uh, Kent, and um, I t- as I st- stood up to speak, I told people this story. It's not uh, about me at all. It's about a friend of mine who happens to work for St. Paul's Cathedral, and um, he's got a very important job there. And uh, I was talking to him, and we were comparing notes on, like, when you go to speak, how do you, um, how do you anticipate what your audience is going to be like and how you get the right note to start with. And he said that what he always does is this, is when he's booked to speak somewhere, he writes to the organizers and he says, um, I, it would really help me if you sent me a list of everybody that you know is going to be attending, you know, when it's a conference and people are paid, booked in. Um, everybody who's going to be a, uh, attending, and can you break it down by age and sex? He said, I've done that for years, but I've now realized that everywhere I go, everyone's been broken down by age and sex, so it's not worth doing anymore. <laughs> because we get broken down by life, a lot of us spend a lot of time trying to compensate. I wonder if you could switch back across uh, to uh, these uh, slides here. And this is a slide from Google. I looked this up yesterday. Um, influence and power. Because people get broken down and we're searching for influence. This is the first, uh, if you type in influence and power, this is the first uh, reference that comes up on Google. Influence and power, Harvard Business School. It's an MBA program. It takes two years, actually. I looked it up. There's the web address. You can get on it if you really want to. And its little description there is this. Power and influence is a course from Harvard. I mean, you know, this is top business here. Power and influence is a course from Harvard. Is a course for those of you who want to make things happen despite the obstacles that might stand in your way. Now, the interesting thing is, I just typed in power and influence. But that that little bit up on Google and all of the pages that followed, endless pages on power and influence, all claim that power and influence are the same thing. What an extraordinary assumption that is. Power and influence. Perhaps we could say power or influence. But nobody, nobody in the first 10 pages of Google, as I, walk, as I walk through it, suggested that. I'd like to suggest to you that the Bible has something really different to say. I don't know how many of you know much of the history of the Old Testament or the New Testament, but perhaps you've heard of King Saul. King Saul, um, the king of Israel before David, Saul had the power, but if you know the story, Samuel, the prophet, had no power, but he had influence. Saul had the power, but Samuel had the influence. King David, as he took Bathsheba and forced her into an adulterous relationship and then murdered her husband, David had the power, but Nathan, the prophet, had the influence. Ahab, the king, had the power, but Elijah had the influence. John, uh, Herod, 
King Herod had the power, but John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, had the influence. Pilate had the power, but Jesus had the influence. Power and influence don't necessarily sit beside one another, as that suggests. Perhaps they are juxtaposed. Perhaps we live in a world that's gone mad on power, but has forgotten that influence is actually not part of power, but something else altogether. And it's that that I'd like to talk about just for a little bit uh, this morning. We, of course, live in a society that idolizes power. We live in a society that's absolutely consumed by the pursuit of power, don't we? We never give up on it. But the fifth value on our wheel, have you all got your wheels? If you've not got a wheel, you need to get one because you're going to need this later on. Get your wheel out of your um, news sheet and shake it about or do something with it because you need to be holding this because we're going to use it in just a minute. Our fifth value down there, which is the one we're talking about this morning, we're going to talk about inclusion next week, but the fifth value on one side at the bottom, if you read it, it simply says this, influence through service. We believe, this church, we believe, that we're called to reflect God's character and nature as it's revealed through Jesus' life, teaching, and servant leadership. Our task is, therefore, to imitate Christ. We've got to live like Christ, to serve with integrity and joy rather than to seek power and position for ourselves. We're called to serve rather than seek power. Pilate had the power, but Jesus had the influence. Herod had the power, But John the Baptist had the influence. Ahab had all the power. But Elijah had the influence. We need to choose the pathway that we're going to pursue through our lives. This is serious business. This isn't a bit of kind of Sunday preaching, you know, a religious bit on the side till we get back to life. You have to choose how you are going to do your life. The one thing that's certain for us all, I don't want to be depressing, is our lives are going to be over soon. Your life is going to be over soon. I was talking to a friend of mine who's called Pete Briley. Some of you will know Pete. He used to work here. He, used to, he came to work with me in his early 20s and he was, I sat in the pub down the road with him uh, one night this week, can't remember it was. He's a great guy, Pete, and he works, uh, he, he does fantastic work. Worked for Oasis for a long time and works with uh, Citizens UK now. And I sat with Pete and he said, he, he said this to me this week. He said, Steve, he said, do you remember the thing that's made most impact on my life that you ever said to me? Well, of course I didn't. You know, I had no idea. What's that? Do you want a cup of tea, Pete? Do you know, what, what was it? He said, you told me when I was 23 that my life would rush past really fast. And that I'd made a mistake if I thought I was immortal or even that I was young. And he said, so here I am 10 years later. And he said, I can remember, Steve, where we were sitting when you said that. And that statement has shaped my life over these 10 years. I'm telling you, whatever your age, your life is rushing by. Live it on purpose, day by day by day. Don't choose to waste a moment faffing around. Live each day on purpose. And if we're going to live out these five values that we've been talking about, and this one that we're talking about today, influence, Jesus had the influence, but he didn't have the power. We have to choose whether we're going to go Jesus' way. I don't want to be a doormat. 
I don't want to be trodden on. I don't want to be used. Why should I always go last? Why am I the one who's always left doing the tidying up? Why am I the one who's always left helping everybody out? We need to make our mind up who we want to be in life. And the Bible suggests that we become the best version of ourselves by choosing the way of Jesus. Like, as I say, we're addicted to power in our world. And, of course, this week, this last week, we're on the first day of a new week now, this last week has been a phenomenal week, hasn't it? Uh, With the election of Donald Trump, the changing of world politics... I woke up this morning to discover this from the news, that the first British politician has been to see President-elect Trump, and it's Nigel Farage. We have Nigel Farage. He's welding this relationship, this special relationship for us between the states and ourselves. Trump and Farage, Nigel and Donald, sit down to discuss the pathway for the West It's an extraordinary thing. But the really interesting thing is this. This is, whatever your views about any of that, this moment is a moment of disruption. Sociologically, it is a moment of disruption. We have come to the end of an old world and a new world is dawning. It's been coming for a long time. You must have seen it in the moral decline of the West, of the wasting of our societies. But the reality is we've come to this moment when we all have to choose. We have to choose who we are and what we're about. I remember, I was telling the guys I was talking to yesterday evening actually, that I was, I I used to um, do a job for the UN... And I was, in, uh, I was in Egypt just before the Arab Spring. In fact, I was sitting in a palace, honestly true, for the United Nations, talking to Mrs. Mubarak. Do you know her husband was the dictator who, um, who, uh, uh, who reigned over Egypt? And it was three weeks before the kind of breakdown of that whole thing and this revolution broke out. And I sat in the palace with her. In fact, I stayed in the palace with a bunch of guys from the UN and some really bright students from across uh, Egypt. And we were thinking about what could be done about the huge problem of human trafficking there. And um, we worked out a strategy which Susanna Mubarak was part of and uh, then got on a plane and, you know, I came home and we kind of working out the small print and all of this. And then one day I wake up and there's been a revolution. And do you know how I found out about the revolution? It wasn't from the BBC. It's from all the university students or some of the university students that I'd got to know who sat in the palace with me and they were now demonstrating in the city square and tweeting me and texting me and messaging me about This huge new revolution, the world was changing. It's a new day. There's a think tank which is called Theos. There's loads of think tanks, but Theos, they're worth looking up. Theos is a Christian think tank. They've done some brilliant work over the last 10 years. 
And Theos say this. In fact, a guy called Nick Spence, who works uh, for them, he's their senior researcher. He's often on Radio 4 and bits and pieces like that. And uh, Nick has done some huge piece of work with long academic words. And I won't bore you with what it's... I shouldn't say that in case Nick's listening. I mean, I, I, could, I don't mean it's boring. I mean, it's great stuff. But, you know, the thing is, it would take a long time to explain. But what his latest piece of research basically says is this. You wait for it? This is a big principle. He says, in the post-secular world into which we are now moving after the Arab Spring and our version of it, which is going on all the time because Donald Trump's election was sure as anything links to the Arab Spring. It's about democratization. It's not about a lack of democracy. It's actually, whatever it is, about the fact that some people don't feel heard and represented and they don't feel that anyone is listening. And so they rise up and they say their thing. And Nick Spence says this, in this world, this new world, no one has any respect for power anymore. They don't respect it. Have you not seen that? They don't respect whoever it is who stands up and says, trust me, follow me, come my way. They've lost trust in the big institutions. So says Nick Spence, in this new world, this post-revolution world into which we are headed, the people that will uh, lead others will be those after the scrum has finished, which we're in at the moment, those who have skin in the game. Those who roll their sleeves up and get their hands dirty. Those who live out the principles they talk about. Those who have that ring of authenticity. It's a brilliant report. It's worth reading and it uses much longer words than I've just used. But that's really what it says. And none of this should come to, as any surprise to any Christian. Because we all know... That Jesus had influence but not power. And he came to serve and he came to wash feet and he came to walk the extra mile. And he walked the extra mile in the greatest moment when he goes to the cross and he takes the blows and he takes the threats. But he will not fight back and he will not nuke people and he will not call a thousand angels down to guard, guard him. He suffers, the suffering servant who through his influence uh, changes the world. When I was, um, I, I, I did theology, and when I was at theology, I got to know a little Greek, and um, he ran a kebab shop, actually, but um, <laughs> this is a Greek word. Do you know what it says? Anybody know what it says? It, it says, yeah, it says Christos, Christ. This is how um, Christ, Jesus Christ, this is how the word Christ is written in the New Testament, in the original New Testament, in the Greek version of the New Testament. And Christ, Jesus Christ, this Christmas time we remember the coming of the Christ, um, the, the word Christ comes from this word. Harder to read, you read it the other way around, of course, this is Hebrew, and the word Christ is a translation of this Hebrew word. And this Hebrew word says Messiah. Messiah. When, uh, Arama when Aramaic and Hebrew was translated into Greek, Messiah was translated into 
Christ. And you see that in John's Gospel, chapter 1. He, Andrew, this is a verse from John's Gospel. He, Andrew, found, uh, first found his brother Simon, Simon Peter, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. That's actually what your New Testament tells you. It's one of the two times when Messiah gets transliterated into the Greek text so that we have found the Messiah. They actually use the Aramaic word, which when translated means Christ. Messiah and Christ mean the same thing. Now, we all know about Jesus Christ. He is the center of our faith. But it's interesting that perhaps we don't know as much about this term Christ as we think. Because Jesus isn't the only Christ that's mentioned in the Bible. There are many Christs in the Bible. We go, hey, that doesn't sound right. Well, it only doesn't sound right because we haven't done the reading. The term Christ is quite a common one in the Old Testament, for instance. The term Christ, Messiah, the term Messiah translated Christ simply means anointed, to be anointed. The Hebrew kings weren't crowned, they were anointed. When we have a new king or queen, they become king or queen because a crown is placed on their head. When David or Solomon or Saul or Ahab became king, they became king because they were anointed with oil. The word Messiah means anointed one. And if you read through the Old Testament, all sorts of people were messiahs, Christ's, anointed. So here's one example, just in case you're thinking, ah, this is all ridiculous. This is 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 6. And it's a story about David and Saul. Saul was the king and David was the heir apparent. And they didn't get on very well. It was a bit like Donald and Hillary. They weren't getting on well. And uh, it says this. Uh, David says, far be it from me because of the Lord, that I should do this thing to my Lord. He's talking about um, Saul there, to my Lord. The Lord's anointed Messiah. The Lord's anointed one, the Lord's anointed Messiah, actually uses the term Messiah. To stretch out my hand against him, since he is the Lord's anointed Messiah. And the Old Testament just doesn't use the term Messiah or Christ um, of... Uh, this king, Saul, David is called a Christ. Um, but it's not just kings. Prophets are sometimes called a Christ, a Messiah, an anointed one. In fact, it's not just people. Sometimes in the Old Testament, it's the temple that's called the Messiah, the anointed one of the Lord. The utensils in the temple, even the unleavened bread used in worship is sometimes called anointed, messianic. Even a non-Jewish king, Cyrus, the king of Persia, in one verse is, is called the anointed one, the Messiah. That's actually the word for the anointed one, which gets translated Christ. So the point is simply this. The Christ, the anointed one, is a person or a thing that is used by God to fulfill his purposes. 
In the New Testament, those who follow Christ come to understand that in a unique way, a completely different way, he is the anointed one. But the Bible's insistence is that from Adam onwards, we can all step into those shoes. We are anointed. We are called. We are chosen. We are called to be iconic. What is an icon? Uh, uh, Some earthly representation of a deeper spiritual truth. We are called to be the Christ the anointed ones, not in a superior sense, but in the sense of service. For it turns out Christ, Jesus Christ, is the anointed one because he serves. Jesus' service, Jesus' washing of feet, Jesus going to the cross isn't some interruption to the way God really is. This is the way that God really is. It's not that God's all power and... And he tries to be a little bit humble for a few years and do it differently through Jesus. Jesus is the way that God is. In Jesus, we see God as he always is. We see God as God always is. Who chooses to serve, to serve us all. Another incredible thing, terrible thing happened this week. Probably um, the most tragic thing this week, it was that Leonard Cohen died. Here are some words from Leonard Cohen. This is from a song which is called Anthem. It's the first verse. The birds they sang at the break of day, start again I heard them say, don't dwell on what has passed away or what is yet to be. Are the wars, they will be fought again. The holy dove, she will be caught again, bought and sold and bought again. The dove is never free. Ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. They are masterful words. And what they're telling us is this, that in the agony of life, it is our task to ring the bell with what we have. Let the bells that can still ring, ring. We can still ring, and we need to ring. But we need to ring out this message of influence rather than power. Our goal is to imitate Christ, to lay down our lives as a community and as individuals. That's what we're called to. But this service is not a pathway to success. When I told you that Saul had the power, but Samuel had the influence, that David had the power, but Nathan had the influence, I didn't tell you this. Elijah had the power, but Ahab had the... uh, 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 Ahab had the power, but Elijah had the influence. Elijah was a great person who lived his life for God. But Elijah also lived with the depression and the loneliness of serving God. Isaiah had the influence. Hezekiah had the power. But Isaiah eventually was executed for his faith. 
He died because he was executed by the king. Herod had the power and John had the influence. But John was beheaded by Herod. Pilate had the power and Jesus had the influence. But Jesus was crucified because of Pilate. This way doesn't always work out. A brilliant story is this, it's a true story. It's our story. A year and a bit ago, we started off running Harvest for Hope, so I hope that you were listening to what Verity says, and I hope you booked your tickets for this salsa evening, etc., etc., etc. But a year ago, we started off with Harvest for Hope, as you know, and we got four containers filled with clothes and tents, etc., etc., and we sent them to Greece to... Um, uh, to, um, uh, to um, refugees uh, near the border who'd just come into Europe and it was a fantastic thing and out of that began a conversation and the conversation began with the home office and we met a group of us with um, people from the home office at the beginning well perhaps it was April time this year from the resettlement team here and then we began to talk to them about the possibility of us buying a house here which is why we're raising money for Harvest for Hope this year we got it we need to give we are going to buy and open a house, at least one house, and we're going to house long-term a Syrian family of refugees and integrate them and give them a brand new beginning because that's what we're called to do by Jesus. When I was homeless, did he give me a home? When I was thirsty, did he give me a drink? When I was naked, did he clothe me? That's what we're called to do. But in getting on with that, what happened was, as uh, Dave referred to earlier, and some of you know, a few weeks ago, the home officer rang me up and said, because you're opening this Syrian house, would you, could you step in at short notice and open a safe house for kids coming from Calais? Calais. And so with two days notice, we said yes. It was on a Wednesday, we said yes. And by Friday, that Friday lunchtime, we'd set up a safe house, which is in East London, is still operating. And we are taking care of kids from all of those countries Dave talked about. It's one young man who, who um, I um, was able to talk to a little bit he watched his father beheaded. He was put in prison. He was sexually abused in prison time after time after time after time. He escaped from prison. He made his way across a sea. The boat he was in capsized. He watched his friends die. He scrambled ashore feeling that he would die. He was picked up. He was given something to eat. He then began to make his way across Europe. He climbed onto the bottom of a train, the wheels of a train. He clung to the bottom until he fell off. When he fell off, he broke his arm. He then walked across the rest of Europe on his own. He walked every step to Calais. And when he got to Calais, Europe saw fit to leave those kids there in a pile of mud for over a year. He has come to be with us. He's 16 now. This terrible story began for him when he was 14. 14! 14 years of age, and you witness that. When he goes to sleep, the nightmares are horrific in his head as he replays all of this. We are called not to power, but to influence. And that's how we came to be involved in this thing, because of the initial steps we took. But here's an extraordinary thing. 
Uh, not only has this led to an ongoing relationship with us with the Home Office, and that will help us set up the house long-term for Syrian refugees here, but this week I had an interesting phone call. It was from a volunteer who volunteered for us one day to um, work in our safe house, and he happens to work for the Met Police, and he happens to be quite high up in the Met Police. In fact, he rang me the week before and suggested something to me, and I said, yeah, let's do it, always say yeah. Always say yeah and think through what it means. Say yeah and can we talk about these details? Do not put a frown on your face and shake. So we had a little conversation last week, week before. And then we had a conversation this week. So basically uh, what he said to me was, he said, Steve, I came and I worked in this, uh, this safe house for you and I realized that's what the Met Police needs. He told me this a week and a half ago. He said, every year there are 500 young people in London who have nowhere to go. They are taken out of their houses because they're being beaten by their mother or their father or someone else. Or they abscond and they're on the streets. Or they get caught up in petty crime. Or they come out of detention centres and there's nowhere to go. And all of them just get put in police cells. And we know it's wrong because they just get left in those cells for weeks. So he said, so I walked round Oasis Safe House and I thought, this is what we should do. Will you do it with us? So I said, yeah. This week he came back to me and he said, so I've talked with the commissioner. He's pretty well associated in there. And uh, we talked with the mayor's office and... Uh, We'll get the funding if you'll deliver the service. So, service leads to influence. And the more you serve, the more influence you have. And says Nick Spence, in this world, in this new world, that's going to be the way. One of my favorite um, recording artists, I'm going to finish, you should... Uh, is, I, I, who knows who Gregory Porter is? Put up your hands if you know Gregory Porter. If you don't, you should um, find out who Gregory Porter is. You should find out who Gregory Porter is. Gregory Porter is, I think, 44 years of age. Um, until he was 39, um, he, he worked doing as many jobs as he could find. But um, then something extraordinary happened to him. His mother, he's American, he's black American, and he grew up in California, he grew up in a really poor community. And he grew up in a community there was huge, where there was huge racial prejudice, but his mother Ruth was a preacher and a pastor. His dad was never there for him. Growing up, uh, Gregory says, uh, what used to happen is, is the Ku Klux Klan one day burned a cross in his front yard. When he was 10, he woke up to see this huge cross burning. On that night, and he said on other, many other nights too, the Ku Klux Klan would take empty beer um, bottles and they'd urinate into them and they'd put the caps back on and throw them through the family's uh, windows. At the age of 39, Ruth, um, his, Ruth Porter, his mother, uh, was told that she had um, breast cancer and that it was fatal, it couldn't be treated. She came home from hospital because she wanted to die in the home. 
Gregory had always sung in the church choir. And as she was laying, dying, he says this. She looked up, up at him. She was going to die within a day and a half of this happening. And she said to her 39-year-old, Gregory, you shouldn't be doing what you're doing. You should sing and you should write. And at the age of 40, Gregory Porter recorded his first album. He's a jazz singer and he sings beautiful songs. He wrote this song. I'd like you to look at these words and then we're going to listen in a moment to Chris come and sing them to us. This is from his new album, which is called Take Me to the Alley. And these are the words of Take Me to the Alley. It's about Matthew's Gospel, chapter 25. I think you guessed that, but let me say. Well, they build their houses in preparation for the king, and they line the sidewalks with every sort of shiny thing. They will be surprised when they hear him say, Take me to the alley. Take me to the afflicted ones. Take me to the lonely ones that somehow lost their way. Let them hear me say, I am your friend. Come to my table. Rest here in my garden. You will have a pardon. They will be surprised when they hear him say, Take me to the alley. Take me to the afflicted ones. Take me to the lonely ones that somehow lost their way. Let them hear me say, I am your friend. Come to my table, rest here in my garden. You will have a pardon. We choose the pathway of influence through service rather than position through power. I'd like you to pick up this. And I'd like you to look at it, this side, the side with the circles. It says Christ-centered, and here are our five values around it. And uh, they're printed on the back. And this bit, the outer rim, is left blank. And if you've read the uh, community news, if you've not, take it home and read the front carefully. Through history, Christians from St. Francis of Assisi to Mother Teresa to Thomas Merton to St. Augustine to Dietrich Bonhoeffer and countless thousands and thousands and thousands and tens of thousands and millions of others have chosen to develop what they've always called a rule of life. The term was coined by St. Benedict. And what that a rule of life is, is simply this. You say, if these are the values I want to live by, what are the behaviors that I need to put in place? What are the things I need to engage in and spend my time in that work out my values? Otherwise, you know how it goes in life. We end up with a pile of values and then we live completely differently. So as Chris comes to sing, I'd like you to particularly to look at influence through service. I don't want you to write anything in it now, because that would be to cheapen this. I want you to think about, as you listen to Chris sing, how can you have influence through service? It might be something to do with this church or something else completely different. And then I'd like you to take this home with you. And over this week, I'd like you to find the discipline to take some time to sit down and fill in how you serve here or elsewhere. What evidence is there to convict you of being inclusive of all? What evidence is there to convict you of 
interdependence with one another? What evidence is there to convict me of intimacy with God? What evidence is there to convict us of intimacy in society, uh, of involvement in society? Unless we fill in the way we live around this for ourselves and stick to it, there's a gap between what we believe and how we live. Listen to Chris and contemplate uh, these words.